Muddy Mouth by C.A. Newsom is an indie mystery by an indie author about an indie mystery author who turns up missing at a writer's conference. As you might imagine, this is a seriously fun book. In a world where hundreds of new books are released every day, how can readers find yours? I'm Stephen Campbell. I'm the CEO of Camven Media. What we do is provide digital assets and strategies to help authors find and keep new readers and fans. That's the way I pay the bills. But in this show, you and I indulge our shared love of mysteries and crime novels by spending time with the people who write them. Are you ready? Let's get this show rolling. Welcome back to CrimeFiction.fm, where we bring the authors of today's best books directly to you. I'm your host, Stephen Campbell, and I'm here with C.A. Newsom, the author of the Leah Anderson Dog Park Mystery Series, the fifth of which, Muddy Mouth, was released earlier this month. Carol, welcome to Crime Fiction FM. Uh, it's great to be back, Stephen. Uh, thank you for having me. Well, I, I, let me first say how much I enjoy this book, and anybody out there who's listening that, that enjoys a good mystery and enjoys reading indie mysteries is going to absolutely love this book, and, and we'll get into some of the reasons why, but uh, this was a particularly fun book for me to read, and I'm, I'm really pleased to be able to chat with you about it. Well, thank you. So let's first, for people who might not be familiar with your work, let's talk a little bit about Leah and the dog park and the the world uh, in in which your series lives. Okay. Um, My main character is Leah Anderson. She's a starving artist, uh, which means that her primary business is art, but occasionally she takes on odd jobs, and she certainly takes on bizarre commissions. And uh, in, this, <laughs> in this book, she is building a float for the Northside Fourth of July Parade. Um, and she has uh, two dogs, and she goes to the dog park every day to exercise them, and she has a close group of friends that grew up out of their common bond at the dog park. Uh, so... When things happen and Leah gets pulled in, then her friends at the dog park get pulled in as well. And she has a detective boyfriend that she met in book one, and they have their ongoing relationship. Uh, and uh, that's that's pretty much it. So it's dogs and mysteries and a little art and, and a bunch of new age woo-woo weirdness because <laughs> this is North Side and we are a very diverse community here. Uh, and most of it is based on real life, not the murders, but the people and the places. And and it's all based around Cincinnati. I don't know whether you said that or not, but uh, the North Side is in Cincinnati. The dog park is in Cincinnati. I grew up in Ohio, so I'm I, I haven't spent any time in the dog park, but I've certainly been in Cincinnati plenty of times. Terrific. All right. Uh, you mentioned the float. And uh, just to give people a little sense of, of the odd commissions that Leah takes on, why don't you describe the float? Okay. This is a replica of a Browning Buckmark pistol, which is a twenty-two target pistol, but um, it is... Uh, very espionage-looking gun. It's very attractive. She finds it attractive. I find it attractive. And she is uh, creating a 16-foot version of this pistol to ride 
yeah. on the back of a flatbed trailer in the Fourth of July parade, which is an event that happens in Northside every year. Um, it sounds really kooky in the book. It is just as kooky, if not kookier, in real life. Uh, we haven't had any 16-foot guns, but uh, we've had all kinds of other crazy things. Well, speaking of crazy things and this parade, there's also the people from the dog park are getting together with their dogs to essentially march in the parade. And, and that's another oddity that just sort of gets thrown in, this whole training process where they're trying to get the dogs ready for the parade. Right. And, you know, actually, the hardest part about doing that kind of training, it's not doing the routines. It is getting the dogs trained to deal with the distractions. And so in the early scene, when they bring out the boom boxes, uh, you know, so that they can have uh, fire truck sirens going off and whatnot, that's, that's really the critical piece. <laughs> and there are just so many scenes like that that just had me either smiling or laughing out loud while I was reading the book. I was just picturing uh, all these people gathered together, training their dogs to march in a Fourth of July parade. It just—it's a comic—it's a comedic scene to visualize. All right, let's talk about Muddy Mouth. Let's talk about. Uh, give us a sense of the storyline, and, and then we'll get into some of the reasons that I found this so appealing. Okay. Well, it—it it starts out uh, an author, an indie author of thrillers and he is uh, you know kind of an homage to Russell Blake um, but he writes a couple of series and has gotten wildly popular and his name is Lucas his pen name is Lucas Cross and the reason for that is because nobody would buy books by from that were written by a guy named Leroy Eberschlag um, and he has um, his aunt's friends who are part of a knitting club and a couple of them are librarians. They're doing the management of his career. He disappears from a writer's conference in Austin and he has been gone for, uh, you know, about a week or you know, 10 days, something like that. And all of a sudden uh, an attack happens against one of the women on his management team in the knitting club. And the knitters... They have some secrets that they need to keep, and so they don't want to go to the police and tell them that they think this is connected to Leroy's disappearance, but they know about Leah. They've heard stories about her, and so they want her to see if she can just track Leroy down. And, you know, it's one of those things that she thinks, well, you know, I can bring in my hacker friend. We can try to trace his cell phone that uh, there was a call. And this is just going to be a little thing. And, of course, the little thing turns into a big thing, which turns into murder. Um, and, you know, that's then we get all of our hijinks going everywhere for this. And, of course, it's the indie author spin that I find so appealing about this. You're obviously deep into the uh, the indie author community. I know you're friends with Russell Blake, who's been on the show uh, at least once on Crime Fiction FM, and I've interviewed him on other shows as well. And you actually mentioned him in, in the book, so it's not a straight homage to Russell Blake, but he's, he's actually sort of a, a, a presence in the book as well. But uh, I, I loved even the, na even the pen name, uh, Lucas Cross. And I have my own 
feelings about where that name came from, but um, I'm, I'm curious, how, how did the ladies pick Lucas Cross for his pin name? They picked a, a first name and a last name from two of the most popular thriller protagonists out there. So uh, Lucas Davenport and Alex Cross. All right, good. So I got that right. Yay. Ding, ding, ding. One for me. <laughs> Okay. Um, there, there's some other elements of the book that just rang so true for me. Uh, Leah and Peter, her detective boyfriend, I guess, I guess we'll call them, and uh, her eating habits. She, they're going out early on in the book uh, for ice cream or yogurt or something, and, and she just toss off comments, says, no, I, I don't want any. Um, I'm not eating dairy, and I'm not eating this, and I'm not eating the other thing. And, you know, because it doesn't go with my blood type, and then you mention a doctor's name. And in my own mind, I'm thinking, I've had this conversation with my wife. (laughs) (laughs) A lot of people have. And, uh, you know, Peter is rolling his eyes, and I rolled my eyes. (laughs) And so, you know, there are all these... It, all these little things in the book, just the the scenes, whenever the food stuff comes up, it's, it's you know, the dialogue between the two of them is so true. I almost felt like you had a microphone in our house and you, and you were just capturing some of the things that we've said. Are you into this type of eating? Well, I do a lot of experimenting with healthy foods. Um, you know, I think it's really important. Uh, I am not real... Um, you know, I'll have ice cream when I want to have ice cream, but in the main, you know, I try to focus on raw foods or at least have some raw foods every day. I focus on, uh, unprocessed foods. Uh, I have done a serious look at the blood type diet. I do notice that cutting certain things that are normally considered to be healthy out of my diet works better for me. Uh, you know, and so Leah follows up on that. And, and the logic is that when you're eating right, uh, you are less likely to get sick. Uh, I get sick less than anybody I know. And, and it's, I'm sure it's because of my eating habits. And it's, it's funny. I don't want to turn this into a diet and nutrition show, but my wife has had asthma for years. And she listens to a podcast about diet and nutrition. And in there, they were talking about some of the food triggers for asthma. So she started eliminating these things and just went really deep into the rabbit hole of changing her diet and getting her blood tested and, and learning all these things she's allergic to. And you know, to, to cut the story short, after three or four months of really monitoring what she eats, she's completely off of her asthma medication and she started running again, which is... Oh, that's- it's, it's, it is tremendous for the two of us because I love to run, and it's something that we were able to do together 20 years ago and haven't been able to do at all, you know, in over a decade. So that's kind of cool. I, I do like to slip a little education in there, but I also like to throw in the other side, you know, the Pop-Tarts and Pepsi side, just to keep things balanced. Yeah, and I, of course, I'm, I'm more like Peter, where it's like I'm, I'm rolling my eyes, I don't buy any of this, and, you know... Don't don't be trying to change my diet because I'm I'm doing just fine. <laughs> but uh, whenever there's one person who's doing it, it, it certainly impacts the other person. So th- this story it, it kicks off at a writers conference in Austin, 
And before we came on the air, you were talking about that conference and and a, a different way you had written the introduction to the book or the prologue to the book. But uh, were you putting this all together in your mind when you were at the conference, or did this come later? Well, George Weir was at one point thinking about having a conference in Austin. Okay. And at that point, I had the idea for doing a murder mystery at the conference with all of my friends there, because we would all go to this conference if George Weir had it. And, um, you know, so I wrote the prologue, and of course we... Excuse me. There's 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 our star. That's that's Chewy. That's the money. <laughs> and if if listeners want to see Chewy, they can go to your website, which I will link to in the show notes. But uh, you can, you actually see Chewy when uh, Chewy's the one who invites you to sign up for the email list at canewsome.com. Absolutely. <laughs> anyway. Stephen, do you want me to uh, put them outside? Yeah, we better we better just pause here for a minute. Let's get back to the Writers' Conference, because that's what we were talking about, the, the fictional Writers' Conference in Austin, and the, this idea that you had uh, that sort of came to fruition in this book. Um, is, is this something that just kind of came to you all at once as, as sort of a complete idea as, as the basis for a book, or it, did it come together in pieces? How did it, how did it all work? Well, what I like to do is I will take two or three things that have absolutely nothing to do with each other. And in this case, um, it was the 4th of July parade, and it was the writers' conference, and it was Sarah wanting to be a dead body. (laughs) And I threw them all together, and because of Sarah's great interest in Scoop, which is a... uh, it is a, an organization that serves the feral cat population and has a sanctuary for those that require ongoing medical care. All right, let, let, me, let me stop you here for just a second and fill in a little bit of background because you and I were talking about this before we started recording, uh, but listeners didn't get a chance to hear that. So in, in the beginning, we talked, uh, or before we came on the air, we were talking about uh, some of the people and the organizations that worked their way into your books, not just this one, but in, into all your books and, and, you know, the friends from the dog park and just friends that you know around town. Your friend Sarah wanted to be a dead body in the book and she manages to accomplish that in, in this book. And there are organizations that you mention at the end and sort of whatever you call your author's notes um, that, that have also worked their way into the book. So with that as background, continue on. You know, I just kind of go on my merry way day to day and something will pop up and I'll say, wow, that would be fun to have in a book. And, you know, something else will do that. Something else will. And I have like a supply of these things that's tucked away. And at some point I'll say, you know what, I'm ready for the next book. And it's going to start with this idea and I think it would be fun to see what happens when you put a parade float <laughs> and the dogs participating in the Northside Parade up against the missing author and 80 feral cats. 
And when you're when you're piecing all these elements together, do you then flesh out this in-depth outline? I'm going to guess the answer is no, just from knowing you and, and your personality. But I, I'm often wrong about these things. Um, no, I, I don't. Uh, I pretty much uh, discover the storyline as I go along. Okay. And, you know, I'll usually start out knowing where the body is going to be discovered and usually I'll know who did it, not always. Um, I'm working more towards being more organized. Uh, this time I am working with Scrivener and I found that just by using that program, you wind up becoming more organized about the way that you do your book. Um, I'm looking at the next one, not to plot it out fully, but at least have my bare bones down in a way that, that I can look at it the way you can with Scrivener, which has an outline of all your chapters along the side and you can put notes in and you know all your research and it's really fun stuff. Yeah, and I, I use Scrivener as well, and I really like it. But for listeners who don't know, it, it's just another tool. It's like Microsoft Word or anything else that you would type into. But this is built specifically for writers, and it has all these neat little things. So if you, something pops into your head, you don't have to go down the rabbit hole. You can just highlight something, put your note in there, and go on with the story, which is I, I, I find it wonderful. It is. It's terrific. We were getting to these friends of yours, and, and some more of these friends of yours that made their way into the book, uh, it, there are knitters, there are librarians, and as, as we talked before we came on the air, you, you were talking about you know, this sort of being you know, your opportunity to, to give a shout-out to librarians a little bit. Absolutely. You know, if, if it wasn't for the library, I don't know that I would be a writer, um, the very brief background on how I became a writer is that I had a head injury back in 2001, and the hardest part about recovering from a head injury is not going crazy while you're waiting to heal. And what I did was listen to audiobooks and read books, mostly mysteries, and it was the library. And I was in there uh, five days a week. Um, and after listening or reading hundreds of mysteries, I got to the point where I, there was something I wanted out of the books that wasn't happening. And so I got very interested in what my own book would look like. So uh, it's been a great resource for me throughout the years. And I'm trying. I'm trying to come up with a promo, some way to give away, you know, maybe a thousand hard copies to librarians. But I'm still trying to figure out how to organize that. Uh, but you know, I just, I just, I think libraries and librarians are the best social agency of everything that's available out there because it's free and available to everyone. And I completely agree. I am a, a total library junkie. And this time of year, I live in, a, in Naples, Florida, which is overrun with tourists from Ohio, mostly, this time of year. And we have a central library that is absolutely beautiful. It's spectacular. And then we've got like six satellite libraries. And if you go to the central library this time of year, the new release shelves are picked clean. There might be one or two books, period, there for these rows of new release books. But if you go to any of the satellite libraries, uh, 
the tourists don't go there because they don't know about them. So you can go and find the books there, and of course you can order them online. And it's it's just amazing that all of the material that's available through libraries. And uh, I, I, I'm just comfortable. I walk into a library, and it just makes me feel good to be inside a library. This one is particularly nice. It's one of the original Carnegie Grant libraries that was mm-hmm. built 100 years ago, and it's got a lot of wonderful old woodwork in it. And, you know, it, it just has that very homey old library feeling to it that I love. On your website, which, again, is canewsome.com, you have written you wrote a post uh, around the end of the year i think or maybe a little bit after that titled 25 things i learned about writing that will help you succeed at anything in no particular order uh, first off that was a fantastic post and i really enjoyed reading it got some laughs and there's there's some really good information in there what what have you learned about writing that maybe wasn't in that post over the course of the last few years between the first book in the, uh, in the Leah series and the most recent one? I've, I've learned a lot about structure. And I, um, you know, I, I came at writing pretty much by the seat of my pants. It was all very intuitive. It was all coming straight out of... You know, I started with the Happy Hollisters and Nancy Drew when, you know, I was about eight years old. Mm-hmm. And But I've never been much of one for understanding how the pieces fit together from a technical standpoint. It was just that feeling you get that, oh, you know, this needs to go this way at this point and not knowing why. So um, I'm getting more of a technical background. Um I think, but the things that I think are really important are, you know, learning to listen to my beta readers. Although I think that, by the way, I had like 50 beta readers this time. <laughs> and, and boy, that was, that was something that was unexpected. I put out a call on my mailing list for beta readers and a um, hundred people responded. And I figured that, you know, probably about half of them would be able to fit it into their their schedule because that's the way it works. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I've never worked with more than 15 beta readers before. So this was a pretty amazing experience going through and reading all of that feedback. Uh, But let's see, what else have I learned about, about, well, let's, let's talk a little bit more about story structure and how, how did you learn this? Is it, did it come from, having other people look at your manuscript and say, this needs to happen sooner or later, or you left this scene out, and if it's going to be a mystery, it needs this scene. Was it that kind of thing, or was it just more uh, practice makes perfect? Um, Sean Coyne has a wonderful podcast that I'm addicted to, Mm -hmm. and it's called The Writer's Grid. He does it with Tim Grawl. Story Um, Grid. Yeah. The Story Grid podcast. Yeah, and... You know, he's got the book, and I looked at the book, and the book seems very dense to me, and I don't respond well to material that's packed so tight. Mm -hmm. But every week he takes a piece of his understanding of story, and he will take it apart, and and Tim asks him all of his beginner questions, and, and he will talk about all these books and movies that 
that apply to this particular philosophy, and and it just makes it so accessible to me. And I have a copy of the Story Grid sitting like two feet away from me right here, and I, I refer to it constantly. I've never listened to the podcast, and I felt like, well, I've got the book. I don't need to listen to the podcast, but now you've convinced me. I need to, I need to listen to the, to the podcast. Sean it's is a wonderful. brilliant guy. He is. He is. He is incredibly brilliant. Um, you know, I, I, there are some other books that I think are good, but Sean really gets deep into this in a way that, that makes it profound and significant, and, and the podcasts are very enjoyable. And he's, he's good at explaining things. And, and, you know, the technique that he uses and a lot of people use when they're trying to explain story structure is to use movies because more people will have seen a given movie than will have read uh, a certain book. And so that... In, in some instances, makes it easy. And in, in the book, in the Story Grid book, he, he goes through an exhaustive process of doing the Story Grid for Silence of the Lambs, which, right. you know, presumably everyone has seen. I don't remember it that well, but it's, it's, it's fun to, to track his process in doing it. But you're right, it's, it's dense. We are getting way off track of 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 your books but this is a this is a fun conversation i think listeners will enjoy learning a little bit about story structure and the way authors like you a- actually learn things while you're writing it so this is not the kind of thing that you you begin writing as a perfect writer it's something that we learn and get better uh with the craft with with each thing that we write well that's that's my goal i want to outdo myself but outdo myself as a writer and not outdo myself by jumping the shark <laughs> you know, it, it, that's that's the way a lot direction a lot of series go in. I, my inspiration is Tammy Hope, mm-hmm. and that is because when she started out, she was writing this romantic suspense that didn't really appeal to me at all. And and then she she uh, switched genres, and now she does you know your your basic. Uh, police procedural slash thrillers that are terrific, and I'm like, you know what? I if I start this process, and I start it with a, a benchmark that I know is achievable now, I don't have to be stuck there. I can continue raising the bar for myself, and and that's what I try to do with each book. And I, I think it's working because I've read most of your books, and this is I, I, I really really enjoyed Muddy Mouth. It's it, your your writing keeps better keeps getting better. The everything about the book I think is a little bit better, and you know it formatting everything. It's just it's it's a really well done piece of work, and I congratulate you on it. Where can where can listeners find Muddy Mouth and the rest of your books? Um, you can find Muddy Mouth on all of the major ebook retailers. Uh, I will have um, paperback available, but it's going to take a little longer. And then hopefully within three to four months, we'll also have audio on Audible and Amazon. Okay. And, and we've mentioned your website a few times today. Is that the best place for people to catch up with you online? I'm not posting as many blogs, but if you sign up to my email list, uh, that is really the best way to stay in touch with me because I'm pretty loyal. And I, uh, you can follow me on Facebook, and that's under Carol Newsom, all one word. Uh, that's my personal, but you know anybody is welcome to follow me there. 
All go, right. go to the website and click on Chewy's Nose, sign up for the mailing list. Uh, the newsletters are fun, and you get first dibs on many things. The newsletters are fun. And I will link to your Facebook page as well as the website in the show notes. Carol, it's always a pleasure to chat with you. Thank you so much, Stephen.